prairie film, prairie film, movie time, excellent. Oh. Here you go, Edmund. Ready? Get it, get it, get it, get it. Totally different. This is the remix with Beyonce. Yeah, I don't like it. Why? I don't like it. Why? She ruined it. Just wait, here we go. She ruined it. I'm a savage. Classy, bougie, ratchet, sassy, moody, nasty. Stupid. What's happening, bitch? What's happening, bitch? I'm a savage. Sassy, moody, ratchet. Sassy, moody, nasty. I love you. I love you. I love you. Nasty. Okay. That's nasty. What the heck? Well, that is a great way to introduce. We're on episode four, right? Yep. Yeah. We haven't done so many that I should. A new be. hope. I shouldn't be remembering <laughs> the number. We're at four. Yeah. Episode four, Resurrection. It's a long 4.0. Okay. Prairie yes. Home Companion Resurrection. So welcome to another episode of the Prairie Film Companion. What, what? I am your host, Gerardo Ramos. I am joined here today by our savage, Edmund Rotia. And his co-savage, Anthony Gertz. And his co-co-co-savage, Kyle Eduardo Bar. And we're just a bunch of savages. Savage. Woo! Classy, bougie, ratchet. Sassy, moody, nasty. Ooh, nasty. Stupid. What's happening, bitch? What's happening, bitch? I love that. All right, beautiful, beautiful. Well, gentlemen, good to see you again. Good to see you. Episode number four. Kyle, we actually had a wonderful day without you yesterday. Uh, well, that's usually me? most days without me are wonderful days. <laughs> we went to the mountains yesterday. We my mom the, used we to did. tell me that when she tucked me in. And Ooh. now I tell my, my therapist that every day. And it's okay. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> None of those things happened. Yes, we were in the mountains. I was thinking while we were up there, I was like, wait, this is great bonding time without mm-hmm. Kyle. Mm-hmm. I was like, Aww. wow, imagine Aww. if we went out there as a podcast to bond. But Kyle's not here. So nice. Sorry, Kyle. Yeah. You, you want to go next weekend? Ooh. No. Do you like hiking or no? No, not really. Mm. Okay, that's fair. I like going outside sometimes. Sometimes? Like in the city. And I like I like camping. Now, you like walking, though. You walk a lot. Yeah, You I walk do. everywhere. Yeah, I walk Actually, everywhere. Yeah. That's right. You walk to work. You walk back home. Mm-hmm. You walk to the supermarket. Yeah. You do? You walk to work? Yeah. Yeah, he's oh. walked every day, even in winter, minus 40. Yeah. Well, well, well I live 20 minutes away, like okay. walking 20 minutes away. Okay. Sorry, keep Good going. For you. I'm, I'm going to double check that I pressed record. I'm sure I did. Uh, yeah, isn't it red? The, this is, but the cameras are. Okay, oh, I'm just going to check that. Okay. To resume the story, we went hiking in uh, Jasper at this mountain, this gorgeous mountain with a glacier in its grip called Edith Cavell Mountain, named after a nurse who in World War One saved like 200 soldiers or something. And she saved people and helped people, both English and German. 
and then was captured by the Germans. And even though she is quoted as saying, I did it because every, I, I did it because every life counts. Yeah. Oh, she was sweet. faced before a German firing squad and executed. Oh, if only she could oh. have saved the glaciers. Nobody can. Not every life. Nobody can. But anyways, yes, I was thinking about you out there, Kyle. Oh, I miss you. And then I thought, you. wait, Kyle would never come with us and he doesn't want to be in nature <laughs> at all. So, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's true. I like being inside in the dark. Mm-hmm. In a spooky environment. That's I okay. like it. I like it outside when it's spooky outside, like Halloween. Mm-hmm. Wow. Or, or at night, pretty, nighttime. That's pretty dark. Do you mean like neighborhoods, though, when on Halloween, like kids running across the street and spooky things happening in a suburban I environment? I just love the feeling of it. Um, we, uh, speaking of dark, mm. a French, French word for uh, black is. Negro. Uh, Neuer? Imagine if we were called ne- uh, film Negro. Could we really That'd have to be very We different. have to stop talking. Yeah, we'd really have to be careful with that E. <laughs> very, how we, how very we pronounce dumb. that. Thankfully, it's not yeah. <laughs> in Spanish. It's in French. Yeah. Indeed, yes. And mm-hmm. this is a great segue Aww. to our first topic, which is... It's really a perfect segue. Film noir and neo-noir. Yes. Now, I want to hear what you guys... Define that as because it can be really broad and it can be okay, black and white. What that means, I also, before digging into noir, want to have a talk about watching black and white films now. What that means to you, what Mm -hmm. it's like, what you think other people think about it. But first, let's talk about noir and what that means. So, noir was um, films starting in the 1930s and even a little bit in the late 1920s, heavily. Heavily influenced by German Expressionist cinema, uh, the themes were often very dark, and very adult, and usually revolved around crime. Um, one kind of proto-noir movie, I would say, was Fritz Lang's M. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, if you look at that era, the, de- the Depression, um, the two movies were either like bubbly musicals or or film noir, which is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Yes. I want to add a little note here that the plural of film noir is not film noirs, but films noir. Films noir. Films noir. And that German expressionism piece, that's interesting because a lot of these German filmmakers came over when? 1920s, 1930s. For reasons. What were those reasons, do you think? Well, they they probably wanted to move. Yeah, it could be their Jewishness. Uh, Fritz Lang, you know, like he was actually appointed by, uh, or um, Goebbels, um, the great propaganda minister who worked for Hitler, appointed Fritz, or offered an appointment to Fritz Lang to head up the leading German studio. But, of course, we all know about the Nuremberg decrees and... uh, Life was getting more difficult for Jewish populations in Germany. Um, so Fritz Lang was like in the, I think it was like 1933 or somewhere in the mid 30s. He's yeah. like, I'm out of here. Yeah. It's getting, I'm part Jewish. Um, Suck a life is going to be difficult. That's what he said. <laughs> so he left and he had a very successful career in the United States making what films? Well, film noir a lot. Film noir films. More film heads. noir films. Uh, the Big Heat, other ones. Yeah. Um, Did he do the Maltese Falcon? No. 
Um, well, but uh, Peter Lorre is in that, and he also moved. He was an that's actor. Right. Yes. Yeah. Who was in M? Who was yeah, in Fitzlane's M? M. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. One of the maybe it's always in, I in top top ten. It's one of the examples of you had this wonderful line when we talked about scary movies, where you said, and I have quoted it often since, that scary doesn't age well, but creepy is creepy timeless. Does, and that's yeah. such a creepy freaking it's movie. It's so that creepy. Is. And yeah. it's and it ages so well. It's it's maybe creepier than any. So it's about a child molest. It's way creepier than any movie done about that now. Yeah. Also, That's a great a comic book adaptation. Mm-hmm. Oh, those, really? For those comic heads out there that I did not know. Yeah. Yeah, I read comic books. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not on sorry this podcast. You, on? you don't. Not on this podcast. Not on this. But um, that was interesting because I loved. I seen M. I saw M when I was in film school. And I remember it hit me like super hard. It was, I was like, well, how can a black and white film be this exciting, this creepy, this intriguing? And recently I'd shown it to my friends and I'm not saying that it didn't hit the same for them, but it was a little more like, okay, why did we just watch that? And oh, so really? why, yes. And so I, my theory behind it is maybe simply because it was black and white. Right. Maybe there's a thousand uh, other things, but let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. I want I to kind of discuss that the, a bit. I've always felt the general consensus among people, everyone of any socioeconomic anything, is black and white is elegant, classy, looks gorgeous. Sure. I like think it also means Calvin old. Klein ads, and yes, it does mean old. Um, and thus probably kind of boring or and like out of touch with now. If it was a color movie from the late 1940s, early 50s, with the everything else being ex- all other things being equal, do you think they would have liked it about the same? I think so. I think so, which is an right. odd thing to say, right? Like, mm-hmm. why why does a movie just have to be you know beautiful and in color to attract you like that? Mm-hmm. No, I'm saying I'm saying I think they would have disliked it as much as they had oh had. you think so yeah i don't i don't know maybe it's tough to say that i just don't think they were engaged are they are they ones to watch things with subtitles yeah they don't mind we've seen i mean they like love anime films japanese films we've watched That's a ton a... of other <laughs> well anime is a little bit different yeah i'm just saying they've done that can they've we think read... of contemporary examples of black and white movies that are not referencing the oldness of it because right now yeah. what's springing to mind is the lighthouse but that movie is right. that made so to weird. be old clerks clerks that's a great example yeah. oh, so would yeah. that hit better if it was in color that one i would say mm. probably i'd say yes right yeah. which is the weird thing because it would feel it would feel contemporary which it is but that's i guess a matter of opinion right or even um uh, if I can cut you off, Roma, Roma. is another one, mm-hmm. which I think would probably be like amplified all the more with color. Yeah, you're it right. is saying something different when it's just in black and white. It's a recollection, it's a memory. Yes, exactly. Then it evokes that, but when it's in color and you get this like flourish, I think of the the beach shot when it's this long tracking shot yeah. out into the ocean mm-hmm. and you see the sunlight spilling back. I mean, it does something in black and white, but I think it's just much more rich and full in that color spectrum so i mean on my own viewpoint my own personal viewpoint i think there's great value in looking at how films were made in black and white and it's it's this weird i always have this weird thing with it now like for instance rome i'm like okay Mm -hmm. why is it in black and white does it need to be black and white is it just for the memory is it like just Mm -hmm. for the fact that this is trying to 
imitate a memory mm-hmm. or is there something more? And my instinct is that there is something more. I just personally can never really articulate it. Right. I don't uh, know an- either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another, another example of a, 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 a modernish movie was Tony K's 2000 American history acts, not American lake of fire, lake of fire. The documentary oh, about abortion. Good one. And oh, after, wow. after mm-hmm. he made American history acts, he spent like 15 years. There are segments in history acts though, that are in black and white. Like he, li- he likes that thing. Right. And and for me, what 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 stands out from Lake of Fire, which is an investigation of abortion from everyone's perspective, mm-hmm. people who are against it for religious reasons, people who are, who are going through it, it you they film an entire abortion from point of crisis through through to after it has happened, mm-hmm. the doctors' perspectives, people who have been through its perspective, people who are in the middle, who people who are totally in the middle, mm-hmm. and in that way the black and whiteness of it has this direct metaphor yeah. of being wh- it's wh- not black and white. Yeah it's, gray. yeah. it's all gray. Oh, that's very good. Wow. And so maybe he's doing that in American history X as well. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. And so stylistically for it, for a documentary like that to be in black and white, that's kind of cool. That's that is cool. cool. That is great. Mm-hmm. He's a right scouser. Yes. Um, I've in wizard of Oz, Mm-hmm. when she moves from black and white or CPL, let's just say black and white into color. That's, there's never been a moment in movie history before that or since that captured that. Like there's been other movies where they dealt with color and black and white and it hasn't felt like that. And I just say in general, that moment, like where she, and she's in Technicolor, there's that that's never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. That was its own thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Like transitioning from a technology of black and white to like rich, full Technicolor. It's just so many so things at once. It's just so, and powerful. And be- Roger Ebert said that that was the first time, because when he was a little kid, there were so many black and white movies that he didn't really notice when a movie was in color in black and white or in black and white. And he said The Wizard of Oz was the first time as a kid that he noticed Jarringly, oh, this is a movie that has color in it. Right. Oh, the yellow brick road is yeah. really yellow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So then now as we watch movies 2020, looking back, like obviously there's a period of time where it just was black and white, where it was made like that. But is what what I just wanted to ask you guys, what value is there in it for us? Like what in terms of your viewing experience, you know, is it a yes. different film than say a movie from the nineties and the two thousands? Of course. But in terms of you viewing it as this moving image, is the black and white thing different or can you still engage with what the movie is? Hmm. I feel like I, it makes me feel about the same. I think other things like grain and noise make me like engage differently, not necessarily positive or negative. Yeah, but it's, it, it really is just different. Yeah. Like mm, okay. the, 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 the light variation that you can get in black and white versus what you can get in color, it's kind of like comparing 2D and 3D and, and without any value judgment because it, with color, you have, you have this extra variable of color. It's not just light and darkness that you're working with. You're working with color, which is another layer of dimension, another d- dimension of complexity. Whereas with um, black and white, like we were talking about what defines a film noir, it's, it's a lot of those style elements, yeah. long shadows, chiaroscuro yeah. lighting, which is really like just 
the way light falls on a on a subject, it, like like in Rembrandt and Da Vinci and Caravaggio, mm-hmm. yeah, just the way a, a single light source falls unevenly on a face or on the side of a building, it's it's so it's so wonderful to capture that in black and white. Whereas if it's in color, then it's this whole other dimension of meaning, really, yeah, and what those colors mean. Whereas film noir is. <sighs> I, I I'm thinking as I'm speaking now, so I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. but it it it's 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 film noir as a genre is is great to render in black and white, yeah, because it's like that metaphor the, from Lake of Fire, cr- yeah, this black and white, black world. and white crime, and it's yeah, morally, the, I never thought of it that way. I haven't either until just yeah. now. And our, our our main character who is usually usually an idealist on the verge of losing his idealism completely. Yeah. The detective who, right. who is still kind of in it for the right reasons, but he's compromised himself and he's asked throughout the movie to compromise his himself in order to, you know, solve the crime and do the ultimately right thing, right. which I guess then you can make a real case for Batman being a film noir character, but I guess we can maybe get to what what falls outside of the bounds and what doesn't. Right. I've always felt that film noir movies, the heroes right out of the gate are very cynical. And then they're like, they get even more cynical. At the like end? at, at the, the end? sunset Boulevard. Cause I felt it was oh. very much the feeling of the time, the thirties and the forties where everyone was kind of cynical. And I know the score. See, yeah. and then, she? and then yeah. it's like, wait, maybe I don't like the, um, the guy at the beginning of Sunset Boulevard, he's not rosy cheeked at the beginning. Like he's you're, already you're right, kind right. of road hard. Mm-hmm. And then it gets worse. That's the feeling of film noir. And then it gets worse. Yes. And then it gets worse. Yes. Another element of the film noir, which I think we need to discuss, is the femme fatale. Also, mm-hmm. like films noir, the plural is femmes fatale. Femmes. And uh, the film, that's another just, just, uh, the, the, it's a trope that needs to be kind of needs to be in a film noir. Nice of you to drop in. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, of all the gin joints in all the world, she had to walk into mine. That's uh, Casablanca. I don't know if that's exactly. Noir, I wouldn't though. call that film noir. No, it has it has a lot of tropes from that era. It, but yeah, like like the suits and the fedora lighting. and sadness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And in but, a way, it, romance movies are have that femme fatale noir element, but it's much more sympathetic to the femme. I think it's just that was kind mm. of the the feeling of crime. Like if you look at any particular decade, you're gonna see elements from what we're most familiar or most stereotype bleed into the others. Right. Um, if y'all seen Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford, I've not. No. So that's a film noir and it's, it's done so differently. It's about this mom with this horrible daughter, which sounds so stupid and not noir, <laughs> but like it, it just weirdly is like the daughter's kind of a sociopath and the film for, the femme fatale, in a weird way, is the daughter. Okay, and it's T- towards who? Because uh, the think mom. It's it's okay. It sounds so mm. stupid. Basically, she works. She does all this stuff for her kids, mainly her older daughter, and it just snowballs and goes downhill. And um, it's creepily kind of ironic too, because we all know Joan Crawford was not that kind of mom. Like, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Femme f- 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 the, you're saying the daughter was the femme fatale, so it, yeah. doesn't, it wasn't a romantic, it wasn't a romantic a thing. Femme yeah. fatale. But that's an interesting thing. The femme fatale in these classic hard-boiled crime stories. It's always, it's usually a very attractive woman 
a kind of mm. a, a kind of helping to undo a man or, mm. or 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 working a man for to towards his undoing. I remember on Kids in the Hall they did a film noir spoof. It was in color, and Scott Thompson played the detective, and the femme fatale is like this Filipino pool boy. but it's like he does all the like femme fatale things like he's drinking a drink by the side of the pool and like yes yeah is that you edmund and then that that filipino boy's name was andy gertz (laughs) (laughs) and now you know the rest of the story (laughs) okay that's great i mean you guys did a great job of uh picking out how we can define a noir is there any other element that's like oh that has to be like is it is it a genre because of the topics and themes they cover is it because we're looking at like a detective yeah it's a very yeah. cynical worldview too and oftentimes an ant it's rarely a happy ending or not even a bittersweet ending but it's, it's chinatown like, it's chinatown yeah yeah, yeah the, uh fedoras Edmund, do you mind putting on your fedora for illustration? For all those watching on video, uh, and you should really watch on video because Gerardo is naked right now. Edmund Rotea (laughs) has put on a fedora. And uh, as soon as you put it on, I'm going to snap it to black and white. Oh, I'm just going to leave it in black and white. It's just easier. Do it. (laughs) There was um, Westworld. Um, Westworld. um, One of the episodes, um, one of the characters takes a, like cybernetic <laughs> drug of some sort that makes you it's called genre and it makes you feel movie genres and it's cool because it's a smart it's not a super cheeky show they usually don't do weird stuff like this but you see his drug trip through his eyes and the the basically the premise of the drug is you go through all these movie genres awesome. and it starts with it switches to like black and white like dramatic music like da-da. And it starts as a noir thing. It's so neat. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, what else is noir? Uh, I, you know what's... F- you, you go. I had a question more, but what were you going to say? I was going to say uh, one thing that was struck me today as I was walking around thinking about noir is, you know, like learning about Westerns, for example. Westerns are, are based on a time period in America or North America mm-hmm. that was re- kind of short. Like it was like the yeah. 1860s to like the 1880s, right? The Westerns yeah. that we think of, the periods that they usually depict directly mm-hmm. or indirectly where there's cowboys and the wild, the West isn't quite settled yet. And there's horseback riding and building of churches and all this. And genocide. And, 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 and genocide. All, this is a relative, this is a period. Mm-hmm. It's only a couple of decades. And we have this whole world that we've imagined. And then there's film noir. Film noir is arguably an even shorter period and it's also be, it's the present day yeah so you, to you speak, can do right? yeah like, yeah then that, that'll bring us into our discussion of neo-noir because yeah we these noir elements are come from this core where it's like like 1930s urban america crime underworld well it's yeah it's also interesting because we see those films as so stereotypical of a time and they were when they came out incredibly modern like incredibly this is a movie of the time this isn't like seven seven brothers for seven brides like this is an edgy movie this is from 19 this movie speaks to 1947 yeah right like and now we just like kind of look at it like 
<laughs> it's a cute style choice. It's so cute. They have a gun. Yeah. Right. And you can see other like eras. Okay, maybe you're maybe you're right. Maybe it's not just the 30s, it's 40s and and then it gets extended and extended and, and we see the early 50s. And we see like Brick by Ryan Johnson. Uh it's a, it's like an example of like a 90s or early 2000s noir and it's it's quite faithful to the genre in other ways, but it's of course set in high school in the 90s or early early 2000s. And I was wanting to ask you guys what other genres do you see emerging of say our time or times are you okay past. Edmund? oh I'm, I'm all right i'm just my eyes water oh <laughs> yeah all this noir talk that's all this noir talk <laughs> yeah. all, all, all the mcdonald's all the- i'm trying to digest <laughs> down. Oh. all the fatales <laughs> that got away a, if you need a minute that's fine well, i'll be yeah. okay yeah, but okay. I, I was thinking uh, one genre is the the 80s teen movie like the john mm-hmm. john hughes you see it you oh, see yeah. it right that extrapolated into movies like Drive, which can be a confluence yeah. of different movies, like it has Western elements too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that does John Hughes or, or um, Stranger Things plays on a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, sorry, repeat the question. The question I'm, is like, lost. what other genres could you see emerging if based on, on specific time periods or cultural zeitgeists? Like maybe like right now we could have this like, <laughs> I don't know, there could be like pandemic movies in the future. Oh yeah. God! I from that not. period, yeah, it depends on how long it lasts. So, because if it yeah. lasts, so it lasted a few years, let's say. Well, well it's yeah. funny because oh, you, you know, like vi- virus movies were like all the rage in the mid '90s. I remember watching movies like like Virus and uh, Twenty Eight Days Later, and yeah, zombie that one was Dustin Hoffman. Um, and of course, they, they've existed in decades uh, previous. Um, like you have the um, Andromeda strain. Strain, yeah. 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 So, but anyways, yeah, returning to uh, outbreak. Um, yeah, outbreak. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But returning to neo noir films. Um, yeah, it certainly Wait, has had we? a lasting influence, and uh, uh, I, I guess this would be a good segue to to neo noir, right? So, um, I guess one of the big neo noir influences in my life has been uh, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. and oh. now the um, the sequel, Blade Runner twenty. 49 um but yeah uh, we definitely see lots of elements of uh film noir and blade runner like what the upturned collar okay yeah yeah the venetian blinds the feeling of it the feel it's not Mm. just aesthetic it's the cynicism and oftentimes in film noir there's a cynicism but there's also just a little bit of heart yeah and also the the, uh, idealism uh, it's not dead yet yeah and also Mm. the style of the film because a lot of people uh today who who seen Blade Runner? They've probably seen either the, the uh, director's cut or the um, the the final cut that came out a few years ago. But the the, the theatrical version of Blade Runner that came out in 1982 was very film noir because it had a voiceover by the um, main character Robert Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, and it was done in the film noir style where you kind of have this. Um, kind of down on his luck not in that, um for in Blade Runner forced out of retirement uh detective who's just hired but he has to kill a few more replicants and hunt them down and uh one by one and yeah it's probably the big film noir movie in my life because yeah. it was the first you, you know I saw Blade Runner when I was or I I read the Blade Runner comic book when I was like 8 years old then saw the movie when I was ten, and I'm like, "Wow, this is really cool." Um, and it certainly shaped my movie 
viewing experiences and preferences. Um, I, I love film noir films. I, I once bought a collection of nine Columbia Pictures film noir films, and I ended up watching all of them on one weekend. Whoa. Like oh, wow. Three or four what, movies a day. What were they? I can't remember. Oh. But LA I do know one of them was a big... No, definitely not LA Confidential. Gil- Gilda? I can't remember. But no, but wait. Were, sorry, wait. I wanted Gilda to was a star you. vehicle for Rita Hayworth. Yes. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, you're sure. saying that it was a noir film, or would you consider that Blade Runner a neo-noir? Um, yeah, I guess it's really hard. I guess a neo-noir, right? The The entomology of, the, of neo meaning neo, right? So taking elements of noir and uh, other elements of uh, science fiction, right? And um, fusing, fusing them together to make a new uh, uh, hybrid uh, noir Film. It's like with, intersectional without. filmmaking. Intersectional Ooh. filmmaking. James yeah. Cameron um, wanted Terminator to be considered noir, oh, Qu- cool. like quote cool. tech noir. Oh. And mm-hmm. when they go to the like club bar in the first Terminator, it's called tech noir. Really? Because cool. he wanted to oh. do a whole new thing. That's and, interesting, and that that's yeah. another one of those confluences of genres because. Um, like cyberpunk mm-hmm. has noir elements. The, Mat- yeah. the Matrix is a very noir movie in some ways. Cynical, angles, yeah, yeah, the cynicism, but the quite not not quite dead idealism as I prefer to. Yeah, define it. Uh, the 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 darkness, the trench coats. Yes, there's not so many fedoras. leather trench coats. Yeah, they moved to leather. No, they were um, faux leather. They still PVC. have the big collars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was. Um, have y'all seen Blood Simple by the Coen Brothers? Not no. yet. No. So th- watch it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where so, they met, right? I Francis have, McDormand and Yes, Ethan yes, yes. Cohen? That's where they met. Okay, I have They're a few married. things to say about Cohen Noir. Okay. Good, good. So Blood Simple. Um Coen Brothers very for me, very hit, very miss. Yeah. Blood mm-hmm. Simple, you better fucking believe it was a hit. Because I put it on thinking, oh, it's that Coen Brothers movie I'm supposed to watch. Yeah. You were supposed to watch Good. Good fucking movie. And like, like, I can't believe they got away with that in that year. What year? (sighs) What year? Like 84 or some shit. Oh, okay. But just, but again, like Coen Brothers done differently. Everything's done with a little bit of a smirk, right? Right. Um... Fargo is, if you look at it, Roger, again, back to Roger Ebert, he said, Rest in peace. Fargo is a noir movie, but everything's done differently. Like it's, it's like a film blanc. It feels so different, but like a shoe that fits at the same time because it's the cop, Frances McDormand, but she's different. Oh, yeah. Oh, son of a gun. Like everything's done differently, but it still feels like noir. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's no cynicism in that character. Yeah. She's optimistic. She's healthy. She's. Yeah. Oh, it's like the most beautiful speech in a movie ever at the end when she's. And what was all this for? A little bit of money, you know, which is what it's always. And that that if you put that in a noir, the most noir movie from the late 30s or early 40s, I would have believed that. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Can it, that leads me into a movie that I would love to talk about. If you guys don't mind me keeping the conversation on noir before I move to film noir, which is a movie that I studied in film studies, which I took with Gerardo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we watched this in a, in a class together, but do you remember The Killing by Stanley Kubrick? Um, who's might not have who's been that? I didn't watch that. Stanley Kubrick? No. 
<laughs> uh, Stanley A. Kubrick was born in 1923. <laughs> in Brooklyn. <laughs> he was born in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was British. And A was, lot of those... No, he his wife was British. They moved. All right. Yeah. Full Metal Jacket was filmed in Britain. Get out of town. And so, so was Eyes Wide Shut. Wow. Yep. And his first movie, the, the movie that really put him on the map, was this 1956 noir called mm-hmm. The Killing. And by... By most metrics, it is a classic noir. It's lean. It's short. It's about a heist that goes wrong. It's about a, it's a small. T- it's, it's about a thug. So it's not about a private investigator, but organizing this heist and it going badly. Is God this the horse track them. one? It's the horse track heist. Nice. It's a it's a great movie and it's short. Criterion Collection. It's wonderful. It it's the first um, matchup between Stanley Kubrick and James Harris, the guy who produced all of his movies mm-hmm. after that, and. It's a it's a classic noir, but there are so many things that stand out. And you mentioned narration. This this another trope of film noir. This and she walked into my office. You know this this yeah. first person narration. But in that movie, it's a it's an omniscient narrator. Yeah, and I, wanna, I don't I don't remember that. I want to I want to quote you how, the way they introduced the main character playing by played by Sterling Hayden. Basically, the reason the movie got made is because they wrote a really tight script. He wrote it with this hard boiled. Uh, uh, fiction author sent it to Sterling Hayden and got him and thus got the movie made and the way that the the script introduces the main character is about 7pm that day Johnny Clay perhaps the most important thread in the unfinished fabric furthered its design ooh that's tight. The narrator knows everything the narrator's like playing God and the unknowing the narrator is God narrator yeah yeah, which is a, a a bit unusual. That's so film noir to think that God would be almost cynical. You're right. Yeah. 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 Isn't he the big, biggest cynic of all? See, see, kid, see. And uh, and in that movie, um, there's the femme fatale is this this wife named Sherry, named Sherry, played by Mary Windsor, and there's a scene where she's 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 working her husband played by Elisha Cook Jr., who is this really reclusive actor who plays the two-bit thug in Maltese Falcon. She's she's working one time, and she says this to him. She's saying that affection is nice, but dot, dot, dot. She says, all, you, all you've ever done is talk about loving me. That's all I've ever had for the last five years is talk. Now that you have the chance to do something, buy me things, dot, 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 and scene ends. Yeah. And then it cuts to Johnny Clay, played by Sterling Hayden, going into a... <laughs> A store, and it's, it's it's saying he's entering the Academy of Chess and Checkers, which is in a way a, a really wonderful pun for for the Academy of Chumps and Suckers. Chumps. <laughs> oh, oh, they're they're doomed from the start by this omniscient creator, this narrator, this like the filmmaker himself. And the luck, really. the lucky horseshoe, and the yeah, yeah, and. Oh man, I have so much more to say about that. But a note about chess. Chess comes up a lot in Kubrick films, which we've we've talked about Kubrick right. a little bit before. But but chess was a way a little bit. There was a an actor named George C. Scott in in Kubrick's uh, Doctor Strangelove, and George C. Scott was a real marine, turned journalist, turned actor, mm-hmm. and a way that Kubrick like won over George C. Scott was to play him in chess every day. So he got Scott, this sort of hot headed marine, to uh, to respect him and trust him. Um, okay, even in things like, could we argue that Inspector Gadget is... Noir? Well, 
He's got a trench coat. He's got a trench coat. It's got cynicism tech, but also a little bit of heart. Is there a femme fatale in? Yeah, Penny. Penny. They're cool. Computer notebook and Doctor Claw and the flying car. Yeah. Oh, Doctor Claw was. He had a cat and. In the movie version, they actually show his face and what he looks like. He looks like Jason so, from um, Friday the 13th. Is that considered neo-noir? I would. I, you know so. what? No one else is making the rules. <laughs> yeah. Let's say yeah. it is. Ladies and gentlemen, Inspector Gadget is noir canon. You heard it here first and probably only here. <gasps> but then you would also have to include do, the do, live do. action movie with Matthew Broderick. Ladies and gentlemen, the live action <laughs> Inspector Gadget with Matthew Broderick is neo-noir, as is Peppa Pig. So that that's an important question, actually, because it feels like once you start defining and looking at what we would call a neo-noir film, it feels like because noir as we know it, black and white, cops, lighting, that sort of thing, has kind of spilled into so much that everything's neo-noir. Right. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Or can we confidently nah, say nah. neo-noir is this? It's a certain feeling, mm-hmm. a certain look. You just said Inspector Gadget is neo-noir. How fucking ridiculous is He's, that? But you know what? <laughs> That's the outfit, so goddamn ridiculous. The outfit... Outrules them all, which the is voice, our, which the by the way, coat. by the way, is our second topic. Iconic costumes. Iconic costumes. <laughs> I mean, film noir in general, the trench coat and the fedora is like yeah, the, like that. That alone sells it. Just like the cowboy hat and a gun defines yeah. a western. So there's a lot of cynicism in film that doesn't make it noir. No, but the outfit does. Yeah, and is is Just is noir outfit. then a genre or is it a style? Interesting. Or mm. is is there a difference? Is there a meaningful distinction between Would those you two consider words? Terminator? Noir? No, I wouldn't. But because right. I make a distinction between action movies, which in some ways it feels like a very classic. Kyle movie. Reese had like a trench coat. I think things just borrow from each other. So yes, I think right. that the, the the genre of noir can be extended as far and wide as we want. Because I also consider Batman a noir. The animated mm-hmm. series yeah. Batman from the 90s was animated on black paper. The, the base was not a white mm-hmm. page. It was a black page. And like, really? there's wow. a character called Clayface in, in the animated series. which Like from The Killing? Like that's what it's based on? Well, that's, Clayface? This is just my own theory, which has no substantiation from Kubrick or anybody else. But Clay, Johnny Clay, this character from The Killing, and Clayface was a successful actor who got brought into the, this criminal underworld. He's a super noir character. He's the most noir character of any of the the people, villains or heroes in the Batman universe. And I like to think that he's based on Johnny Clay after the fact. He's Johnny Clay after this heist went poorly. See, mm-hmm. what about Dick Tracy? Super noir. That, just, is, yellow, that is like, yeah, noir, like basically okay. a parody of, of noir and a fun parody. And who who is the femme fatale? Madonna. Celebrate. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Amarillo noir. Wait, what's 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 yellow in French? Je vet. We're gonna get fact checked on this one, which is good. Let's go to <laughs> costumes now. Come sure. on. No, no, no. There was a great <laughs> discussion having there. 
Yeah, because I think we haven't we barely scratched the surface. Yeah, neo noir. All, all we've said is, oh, neo noir is black and white. Oh, neo noir is we trench coat. We said more than that. Oh, well, and well, then wait, shut up, wait, and then we said neo noir. Y'all were fucking, everything. Y'all were shh, y'all neo-noir were fucking is sleeping. Inspector Gadget. Y'all were fucking sleeping while while me and Andy were making. We're, I don't we know. were we were smoking and smack. Oh, ah, uh, uh, Okay, I know. I know you want to define everything. But uh, what does that even mean? Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. I don't know. I don't so know. that we can understand uh, each other. James James Cagney. Yeah. Uh, there's this movie, which is what we're talking about. Movies. <laughs> um, uh, I forget what it's called, but it was early noir movie. He plays this gangster. Um, I don't know. If that was. It's a got gangster. like a. It's got like a. It was like the G Man or something like that, right? Look it up. Look it up. James Cagney. Is it with the grapefruit in the face? Yes. Yeah. The public he, enemy. He already knows public, public enemy. enemy. So there's a scene in that movie where he's talking with not the femme fatale, just to quote, like kind of dumb girlfriend at the time, and she says something just off the cuff, and he's like, and he. This is a movie from the 1930s. He takes a grapefruit and smashes it against her face. What? And it's like that that's edgy for now. I can't imagine how disturbing that would have been to an audience in the 1930s. You just and it's like it's hard. Like like the director said no, just literally put it Is it okay if he just literally puts the grapefruit like this on your face? Uh-oh. Okay, I'm going to show it to you guys. He's going to show it to us. So you can see it at least. Sure, sure, sure. I don't know if I want to see this, but... I didn't ask you for any lip. I asked you if you had a drink. I know, Tom. I wish... There you go down wishing stuff again. I wish you was a wishing well. That I could tie a bucket to you and sink you. Maybe you found someone you like better. Yeah, maybe. What a jerk. Yeah, it's pretty vicious. And that's what I mean about this. The, the and whole that hurts it's your so, eyes, too. It's so that, subtle, that, though. I thought it was more violent. This is this is what I want to... That's violent. Let if me, let if me say someone something. did that to you. Let me say something. This is what I wanted to bring up about the whole co- concept of the femme fatale. It's like... Do you think this re- reflects a lot of these... Presumably straight male authors misogynistic misogynistic views. views? Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. It still does. It still does. Even when they're not trying to, we can't help it. People can't help it because we're fucked up. And a lot of the like what I just just mentioned about um, Sherry's character in the killing, she's she's like affection's nice, but materialism's better. Like you got to follow through on that. She's not a good loving partner. And in the end of that, Elisha Cook Jr.'s character. Fancy well. words don't get me a white picket fence. Right. Is that the one where she says, um, uh, he says, what's for dinner? And she says, oh, well, it's at the grocery store. Right. <laughs> you right. just got to go get it. Just an know? awful person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I missed the point you were getting at. Like, this femme fatale, it's, it's written by these hard boiled men for mm. these aspiring hard boiled men, <laughs> this male audience. Um, I just like, 
Like seeing something like that, I just you know what they were they were a lot of them were probably just like the writers and viewers of now nerds writing for nerds. Isn't that just or what, just like, guys writing for guys, people writing for people? Film noir writers are the incels of yesteryear. Is that what you're saying? Well, like it's not like okay if you if you said Rod Serling, that would be different. He fought in World War Two. A lot of them did, shit. but well. Uh, not in the 30s because it didn't happen yet, right? <laughs> well, like maybe World War One. Like I don't, I don't know how hard boiled a lot of a lot of these guys were. Like we always, we always tend to over dramatize and romanticize not just the movies but the people of yesteryear right. and the creators of yesteryear. And maybe they were kind of just like Kubrick. You know, we're so willing to criticize the writers and directors of now. Right. Well, hold on. But, Sorry. I don't mean to like, yeah, take away from that. All I'm trying to get at is like our definition of noir and new noir to someone else looking on the outside is kind of like, oh, yeah, again, black and white, everything else. Mm-hmm. That that just seems what it's like. Right. To me, again, I think what we were like no, touching on. No, we said on, cynicism with a little right. bit of heart. But I don't think that Gerardo's right in saying that that. A certain that, worldview. That but that's descri- not noir. That's not noir. That is noir. That's not just. It's common to noir. a lot of noir. Okay, outside of those other three things, what else? I think I think it's useful to to define something by its most narrow definition sometimes, mm. and then just just allow for exceptions and extrapolations because crime, crime cynicism, thirties and forties, post fedora, uh, a, a time around World War II, a guy, a femme fatale, private investigator is pretty common and and uh crime questioning questioning morals right and then everything that that's playing on that can bring in other elements like blade runner does or ellie confidential which and is actually- drinking at 1 p.m always and smoking in your honey office. all the time Venetian blinds? Yeah. Venetian blinds. I only challenge you guys not to say, oh, your definition is wrong or that I have something better to put. Because honestly, I don't. And a lot of your definition does crystallize on what I think is film noir. But what I feel, at least, when I'm thinking about these movies and looking at them, to me, it it, it always holds a little more value to think about what you guys were touching on a little bit there at the end, which was what does this genre, however you define it, through these characteristics, say about that time, right? You're saying, oh, this is a very specific time. So right. what does it say about then? And then what, thus, when it's being borrowed, does it say about another, like our current modern one? So I guess to me, what's right. more interesting is not necessarily defining them hard and fast, but being like, what has that genre done to filmmaking now, right? Which is what we're seeing. So that's, I'm not like trying to like shit on like, saying inspector gadget is noir but like how how is it where's the cynicism i was was being a little facetious and a little cheeky there but i would say um like world history goes in waves um the 30s and 40s were an obviously an incredibly tumultuous and sad time and let's keep in mind that a lot of the great noirs came out not in the 30s and 40s but in like the 40s and 50s yeah and then slightly shifted to post-war but but germany hit it earlier um, and then the 1950s and 60s were different. And then coming into the later 60s and 70s, it got darker again. And there was a reaction to that. Um, I feel like whenever things are more tumultuous, the media is more bifurcated. So it's 
whenever things are, and I would say even now, we have these stupid superhero movies and Black Mirror. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because so th- yeah. now is a very tumultuous time. Right. And that is actually a great question. You know, as I watch something black and white, looking, it always, always feels like I'm looking back on something, even if it was something like Roma or the lighthouse that was made in modern times, it feels like a look back, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe as just even as a fun exercise, and this can maybe be like the last little noir pocket we land on before going on to wardrobe, which I'm excited to for. To clothes and costumes. <laughs> um, what does a noir film made today look like about our time, given that the only caveat here is that it is not about the pandemic. It is not about a virus. Right. It would be in right. color and it would be dirty. I think noir means something completely different because I think like Kyle said, mm. noir, I think it's a nice way that you put it, that the, the noir wasn't emblematic of the big movies of the day. The big movies of the day were more optimistic mm. and and the studios had m- many more... Uh, many more financial returns on these more optimistic movies than they did on the noir. Well, they, they, they did make bank off film noir. What I was saying yes. is there was two big, there was happy musicals right. as, uh, and then noir. And then noir. And, and there, dark wasn't, underbelly. there wasn't as much of the mushy middle ground. Right. So I think that now a noir doesn't have the same cultural meaning. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't reflect our cynical values because we're not living in that time. Like, Seeing a noir now could be an optimistic thing because it's like hearkening back to this simpler time of the 30s. Remember when they just shot each other and smoked afterwards? Yeah. Jesus. So it doesn't carry the same cynicism that that you're saying defines a lot of noir, which I agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you say that there's more of that now? More cynicism? I'd say there's almost like it's not even more cynicism it's 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 just changed it's more sarcasm Although i think there's that, i think there's that's way difficult more for us to say because we've only been here since the 90s and late 80s right but i'm just talking about like our yeah. current time we're living in this pandemic yeah mm-hmm. this kind of social and racial unrest yeah like if anything we're so cynical i feel like, like how many people have we seen die in the past oh. six months online yeah. Yeah. on news just because it's normal right you know if anything we've gone beyond any sort of neo-noir i feel like we're in right. a period of uh, maybe i i don't know if we've ever had this in history where we're like more so than ever we're like what's going on i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow yes Mm. more so than ever if you lived in the 40s or the 50s even with the threat of the reds you still kind of knew if the reds weren't going to get you what was going to happen tomorrow okay now it's like what's going what's going on and the people in charge don't know what's going on and that's not a cynical statement it's just they're they're in the same boat we are of like i don't know what's going on I don't know, like this whole COVID thing. It's like, okay, we learned something new, and it's like, I like. What about the atomic bombs and the fear of that? Right. I there, think there that must, was even a heightened. we kind of knew right. what was. No. We kind of knew. I don't know. We, we, no, didn't, we didn't. We didn't know how the movie was end, but we just would don't end, know. But like, we d- I mean, knew how the movie was going to play out. The movie's either going to have two endings in that. This we don't even know where we are in the movie. But I think that's a position that we can obviously take now. In the present moment, you always have to take that position that you don't know what the future is going to be. I think probably right. in that time, they had the same... No, I, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think more so 
before the recent period, it felt like we kind of tomorrow's either going to have two endings, and now we don't even know how the rest of the movie's going to play out. Uh-huh. We have no idea. Every it's like what what the fuck is going on now? What's going on now? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I, that we have more cynicism because I still see that people are taking to the streets for political fights and people having people aren't totally hopeless. I think like seeing people working together wearing masks and staying inside shows that people are people are still wanting to be practical and that's to me practicality is kind of a form of optimism. Mm-hmm. But I think that we are more like ironic than ever that that I would agree with, which is kind of cynicism, sure. but it's like it's like a bit different. Like it's like it's diet cynicism. Yes, because like we 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 know better, or if we don't actually know better, we know that we should know better. That We're we have pretending access to, to the know knowledge. better. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we yeah. have the access to the knowledge. Yeah. So there's this like posturing of I know better, which sounds like cynicism a lot of the time, but really is in, it was just irony, which reflects a certain intelligence i think mm-hmm. we are statistically the smartest people like 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 uh that is of ever the iq has always gone up although if you think about it the people oh writing God, the tests you. are always in the current year so you know i'm sorry i'm still on you're smarter than you than people have ever been <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so if we are not making a noir in this day and age, that's fine. You know, I'm not saying we have when to. When are we going to get to costumes? I want to. But Come on. I mean, yeah, I think it would be cool, right? I think what I also, like, making a noir right now, I love the style. Mm-hmm. I love it just as, like, a style. I love the clothing of it as well. The suits, the textures. The clothing. The, the what? costume. Which, which will move outfit, on. The outfit, the design, the costume yes, design. let's move on. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so yes. Uh, was four, I remember... Was 54 minutes not enough? <laughs> I'm sorry, Gerardo. He's getting pissed off at me, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. Whatever you want to say, Kyle. This is all now your podcast. No, you're, no, this is your podcast. You're supposed to direct it. Make like Michael Bay and shoot at actors like movie directors. I was going to share a moment that I had watched. I can't remember what black and white film it was. It was probably like a Hitchcock film. And it was a dial M for murder. Ooh, oh man, that's in color. So, it wasn't <laughs> no. that, sweetie. That's in color. It wasn't it's that, but that's 3D. an amazing movie in 3D. A Cineplex <laughs> released it in 3D, and I went to go watch it again. It was like the most stunning 3D movie I've seen. Nice. Besides, like Hugo. for real, they 3D'd an old movie. No, no it, it was, was made in 3D, 3D. Yeah, when it, it came made. out. What? Yes, originally yeah. it was made. Yeah, um, shot it with two lenses, two cameras going. I don't know the practical. Yes, it was probably two cameras, two lenses, and um, wow. just a fun fact. A lot of viewers out there will think that in 1950s, 3D was the analyph glasses with the uh, red and blue lenses. Yeah. Now, that's not true. Movie theaters have had polarized 3D lens projection technology for for uh, almost a century. Like, it began in the... I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, um, so a lot of uh, movie houses in the... Or not a lot, but some movie houses in the... 19, 19 um, teens and 1920s and 30s, they had silver nitrate screens that you need for 3D projection. And a lot of um, the glasses were kind of the similar 
passes that you get at the um, movie theaters today, like the Real D um, glasses that you wear, and you put it on and you see 3D. It's not the Analyph 3D, but yeah, sorry, that's just a little. Why don't you go ahead and tell them about 4D? I had no fucking idea. Why don't you go ahead and tell them about 4D, Edmund? Oh right. Okay. So I guess um smell a vision. I'm trying to uh keep with the uh the, the themes of uh today's podcast of uh neo noir or of film noir, neo noir and costumes. But um yeah, uh, another technology that we have now in a lot of North American theaters is 4DX. And people are probably wondering what 4DX is. Um what 4DX uh, it actually originated with the South Korean uh company. And it's just another way for uh, movie theaters to provide a unique home entertainment experience that you can't get at home. Because as we know, the price of large screen LCD, LED televisions has fallen substantially. Um, And sound systems have gotten a lot better. You can get a rich home theater experience for under a grand or a few hundred dollars at home. Um, So for movie theaters to compete, um, just as... Movie theaters competed w- with the emergence of television systems in the 40s and 50s. Um, movie theaters have implemented 4DX, and what 4DX is is um, you have a seat that vibrates, um, or, or it doesn't just vibrate; it actually moves around, and uh, to coincide with the action on the screen. And then you have all these environmental effects. So I went to see a movie. Um, Terminator Dark Fate way back in November and they had environmental effects like there's some wind, there's a little bit of mist to emulate rain, there are these uh, kind of strobing lights um, to add more to the ambient experience of watching the film. Um, I I think in some 4DX presentations there's even like snow and and then there's even smell. Too, so you can smell the film. Smell-o-vision. Um, so me and Gerardo and a few other friends recently saw the Train to Busan two or Train to Busan presents Peninsula, um, which is you can argue it's either a sequel to Train to, to Busan because it takes place several years later, or it's a zombie movie set in Korea, cashing in on the popularity of the first film. So it's only related to the first film by title, but it was in 4DX and. If you really enjoy uh, the experience of riding in cars and feeling the, the bass of the muffler and move, moving around violently in your seats as the young lady does an endless number of drifting, then you'll, then you'll definitely love movies like Train to Busan Presents Peninsula. I'll just call it Train to Busan 2 uh, for the purposes of simplicity. And that was a <laughs> movie in 4DX. But um, yeah, like I guess... Uh, I don't know. Could you consider was, Train to Busan a, a neo-noir film? <laughs> Would you? Okay, it, I was going to make and, a joke, but now I'm kind of serious. People are depressed. And Showgirls kind of noir, cynical, <laughs> yeah. shady ca- crime, shady characters. Mm-hmm. Girl moves to big cities. Can we stuff. talk about the costumes in Showgirls? Do you think... For, do, how, how was your... So, Edmund, how was your 4DX experience of Showgirls? I never saw it in 4DX, but I still see it. You're supposed to play along and say I had to bring a raincoat and all this shit. Okay. (laughs) You definitely need to wear a raincoat if if it was remastered in 4DX. Bring your rubber. (laughs) But uh, yeah. We made Gerardo leave. Um, I hope you're happy, Andy. Yeah. I've never been happy. So yeah. Yeah. So 
yeah, that's my TED Talk presentation on 4DX. I love that you shortened Train to Present Bhutan Presents Peninsula to Train to Bhutan to. Oh, it's it Train is to shorter. Busan. It is shorter. Busan. 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 No, no, not Busan. I'm sorry to our Korean zombie movie. Who are they going to bite next? Yeah, I wonder what Probably the next... Probably more Koreans. More Koreans. I wonder if North Korea will make a movie, Train to Pyongyang. <laughs> Train to Pyongyang. Did they get the, the disease from Parasite? Um, <laughs> so now, now we're going to talk about costumes. Sure. Yeah. And now to begin our second segment on costumes. Andy, can you start us off? Because I didn't know where I was going. Um... Hold on, hold on. I'm having a little bit of. You're the one who's dressed like uh, are we, are we a like about? a like a like a hippie. Well, I like think a, a cowboy hippie. It depends on how where we want to go with this costume discussion because we talked about how certain genres are affiliated with certain costume choices. Film noir being a fedora and a trench coat, westerns being a six shooter revolver and a cowboy hat, and perhaps a tasseled nice tasseled vest. Give us a good twirl. I can't twirl in the chair, but I'll give you a shimmy. He's being mo- he's being he's being modest. I'm being modest because I was told the last episode was a bit vulgar mm-hmm. by uh, our our be- biggest fan, Uncle Keith. He- Thank you for listening, Uncle Keith. We love you, we Uncle love you. Keith. We, You're we, the we best. You are the best for listening. Yeah, this episode was sponsored by Uncle Keith. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how to open this discussion up, but like, are there are there any other genres? For you that are based on certain costume choices? I was going to share an experience with that um, before we got derailed off of the train to Busan. I hope this is about your birthday suit. Yeah, Um, go. Yeah, yeah, all I was saying was uh, once Blu-ray started coming out, I'd watched a black and white film. I think it was a Hitchcock film. And I noticed that a lot of the detail in the fabrics of the suits... I mean, in every Hitchcock film, they was all wearing suits and very immaculate. And I just noticed in like a herringbone suit, which is like a wavy design, not wavy. What would you call that? Uh, yeah, like a chevron. Like you have a yeah. great herringbone suit, like a V's, a bunch of V's. Yeah, Yeah, like a bunch of consecutive V's. And anyways, like in the Blu-ray, I had not noticed how detailed and how intricate it was woven into the suit. And I think it just kind of, to me, every time I watch films even when i was super young all of the clothing and everything they would wear and how they would present themselves was super important to me and of course i would draw a lot of inspiration from it but when i saw this blu-ray i was like whoa i was like there's detail there i hadn't noticed before there's this intricacy and this like love crafted into these suits and such so i mean for me it's always really important to notice what someone's wearing um, I think maybe we could open up this discussion with what are like some super iconic, you know, films or costumes or outfits that affected you. I feel the Rocky Horror Picture Show because <laughs> they a lot of the quote costumes are literally like they they feel like Halloween costumes, like kind of intentionally like playing off the low budget 1950s B movie aesthetic, mm-hmm. but. Like, say whatever you want about every movie that won Best Costume Design since whenever that category was invented. But, like, Dr. Frankenfurter's outfit, like, how many people dress up as that every Halloween? 
or magenta or even the really simple things at the end with like Rocky with his gold spandex like that that movie is it's Kmart costume design yeah. but it's iconic mm-hmm. so or um I was thinking of uh we were talking about the Matrix earlier mm. and um late 90s early 2000s um it was just unfortunate that the Matrix came out um, when we had the uh, high school shootings oh. that started to occur, um, like the Columbine shooting, and then the we started coats. to hear the trench coat mafia. But right. I remember mm-hmm. a lot of, I had friends and even a guy in my fraternity in the late 2000s who he would wear like the black shirt, black pants, black leather coat, shades as if he was Neo from the Matrix. And yeah, I remember going to like kind of comic book collectors conventions and then you'd see kind of a subculture of the cyberpunk uh, neo wannabe types. Just say virgins. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, pe- people, yeah, yeah, n- nerds who were trying to be cool. Oh yeah. And they were trying to emulate their their hero, right. he, Neo from the Matrix. But um, they, they definitely didn't look like Keanu. Or <laughs> but were were you? But they lo- thought they were cool. Were you looking at those guys in the trench coat or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> a Matrix reference. Yeah. Um, what Phil was Noir, like, though, Femme Fatale. What was like... That's a noir Is movie. there something that you like? You liked from a movie, like a piece of clothing that you wanted to emulate um, more? Like, is no, I never dressed fedora? up as Neo. No, not Neo, but like something else. Like, is your fedora from somewhere or? Yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, Edmund, for those viewers and listeners that aren't familiar, Edmund Rotea, St. Edmund as we call him, is is (laughs) one of his, one of the the style choices that define the genre of him is this fedora. Mm -hmm. He's got several. He knows how to flip it. He was wearing one on her her leg. Go for a double flip. He can do it. (laughs) Yeah, he's the man. Does that come from uh, a movie? Um. No, I think uh, what it was is fedoras were always on sale. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was the cheap cheapest hat. <laughs> Do yeah. you have something less than a $5 tube? <laughs> this hat was $2 from Army and Navy. Whoa. Rest oh. in peace, Army and Navy. Yeah. Yeah. That's Local why they gym. went out of fucking business. Two bucks, yeah. <laughs> they didn't know the concept of marking up. This is a hat. I should have bought more. <laughs> I didn't know they would, they would close forever. That's that's actually a really made well made hat too. Like it's got sturdiness to it, and it's cheaper than hats at the Dollarama. They're three fifty four dollars. This is a this was two dollars. Ladies and gentlemen, see it feels how durable. Like a brick. And it's made out of paper. It's it, <laughs> that should not have been I two dollars. <laughs> well, it's made in China. One costume for me that you were just thinking of. Because you brought up Rocky Horror Picture Show, which you've brought up in a previous episode. And in our previous episode, we talked about sexual awakenings. And I mentioned Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman in Batman Returns, mm. the sequel. And for me, th- that I immediately thought of those costumes where you have Batman's right. cowl. Yeah. And he is this very wealthy vigilante, right? And he makes this like rubberized suit that makes him stronger and tougher and everything. And then you have Catwoman who has no money at all. She has no power really. And she gets laid off from she her job. She gets laid off. She gets killed. And then she makes her own costume, which mimics the bat costume in that it has ears and that it's all yeah. black. And then it's kind of like shiny, like not like full leather. But she's, but she's like stitched it herself and the stitches are very visible. Mm-hmm. It's like the poor. Like Frankenstein. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I know, I know it's a super over talk talked movie, but the costumes of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. They're so iconic. So number right? one, Luke Skywalker showing off the chest, just like Robin Hood. And or Sean Connery's James Bond when he's shirtless. Yeah. <laughs> you had me for a bit. With that much um, hair, he's never shirtless. Yeah. He's wearing a sweater the whole time. <laughs> uh, Darth Vader's um, I am your costume <laughs> I, I saw in real life when it came for the Star Wars Identities exhibit. Oh. And it was so neat because um, during the exhibit, they said it's Darth Vader's actual suit is at the exhibit, including and like real props, including Darth Vader's suit. And in the movie, it's so imposing. And then when you see it in real life, it's like, it's it's just a suit. Like, it's just cloth. It's weird. It's And, and you look at this thing, and it's like, this was in Empire Strikes Back. This was in, but it's it's just fabric. It's 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 still stunning to see it in real life, but yeah, yeah. And yeah. the uh, Darth Vader's helmet is based off of the, the, the SS. SS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way it's it right. Swoops yeah. Down. yeah, right. Yeah, and it's interesting you draw that that uh, parallel, right? Because a lot of the Empire is kind of rooted in the the SS and. Mm-hmm. Yes. military outfits of the, the orderliness the, the fact that they're called stormtroopers mm-hmm. chancellor what did what did edmund think of elizabeth berkeley's uh costume in the uh, grotto scene in showgirls oh it's been a while since i've uh, caused uh, she, was, no she was naked i recently watched that is that the swimming wait pool you watched scene? that without no, no, me the grotto scene you watch oh just just the grotto. Oh, is that scene. the one in the swimming pool? Yeah, when she married. He him. just watched the the grotto scene. Um, yeah, it was it's like so mentioned f- on a Joe Rogan podcast, and I was so, like, oh, so funny. Cool. We t- we talked. I talked about that to you in person. Yeah, I acted it out for you. And you didn't watch it. <laughs> but Joe Rogan's like DMG, Berkeley, do <laughs> showgirls, and you're like, I gotta watch this. Well, I guess they saved a lot yeah. on wardrobe because with all the yeah they did well, the lack of uh, clothing. You know, that's why you watch things. People <laughs> you trust mentioning that they like. That's why I watched Love on the Spectrum because mm-hmm. a podcast I like mentioned it. Yeah, nice. it, it broke my no cry summer within ten minutes of the first episode, Aww. and then it didn't end well. So I don't actually recommend it. But the first episode within ten minutes, you see these beautiful autistic autistic people are people on that's autism. a tearjerker just immediately i know people with autism and they learn things and, and they're, it's they're sad and they're in love and, and, and they're and, different but the same as us right? and and then you see their parents love and pride and fear at their children like going out into the world trying to find love which is such a vulnerable thing to do yeah it really got me but then i watched the final episode today i have a my friend watched that show the good doctor about the doctor who has autism and he's like right. young, but he's got autism, so he's a doctor. Mm. And I said, like, is every episode a tearjerker? And she's like, yes, there's one episode where the patient is autistic, and it's like, just like, they're just pulling at you. <laughs> Cry. Yeah. We need that. Gerardo, what about you, costume-wise? Is there something that's terribly inspiring for you? Is there a favorite? Men's com- suits. 
as I was mentioning, you know, in the Blu-ray that I watched, I always look at men's suits, how they're put together. They're all the same. They're all, they're all the same. They're all the same. They're so like, yes, there's like a cut and lapel and different thicknesses and all mm-hmm. that and materials. But that's the thing is that there's just men's clothing is so limited in terms of Do you like think it's how the guy wear. fills it out, how he wears it, how he carries it? Like, Not really. I mean... It just has something to do with like that specific set of like armor of this thing you put on to make yourself look, you know, yeah, uh, clean yeah. and refined. And I don't know, it just it was it felt like it was a far from my world when I was young because I just didn't see people around me dressing like that. And so, yeah, it was just like that was something I had in awe and in reverence of. And so even to this day, I'll like, oh, wow, like again, a herringbone pattern on a suit. Not many people care about that. They'll be like, oh, I need a snoot for a wedding or a funeral, right? Not not a ton of uh, yeah, care yeah. put into it. But film, I mean, even when I'm watching it on a movie or a show, like Mad Men or Suits, or even mm-hmm. uh, but probably the my biggest influence at the moment is um, The mon- Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. That whole series yeah. is watchable just for their suits. They're mm-hmm. almost like characters alongside of the person's acting, they're beautiful. They're so immaculate. Yeah. And they've won awards justly because they're just, they, they, they not only evoke that era, they just like f- speak with this amazing vibrancy. It's so crazy. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to say you don't just don't think just as soon as I ask you the question, you have to blurt it out. Iconic movie costume. You're thinking. I'm just blank. Are you asking like to name an iconic? I just movie wanted costume? you to think when I said iconic well, movie that costume. Comes to mind. Uh, I mean, it would have been Star Wars, but you just talked about it. <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's simple. Yeah. You know, he has the hat. What about? Um, the glass slipper in Cinderella. Yeah, or even um you know the I, Ruby slippers. A lot of the horror the horror villains have the most iconic costumes, like Chucky with his suspenders. Or Dracula. Freddy with uh, Dracula. I went uh, as a, every every kid as a default has their little like I'm gonna go as a witch, I'm gonna go as this. Mine was always I'm gonna go Dracula. Dracula. And it's such a simple outfit. You just need like a teeth black cave teeth. Pale makeup, maybe. And mm-hmm. hair gel. My mom. Right. A, a widow's peak. Yeah. My mom, when I was, first time I went to Dracula, she gelled up my hair and she said, you have to look handsome, Kyle, because uh-huh. because Dracula is handsome and that's how he gets his victims. Welcome to Transylvania. Oh. I will suck your blood. Sexual. So- <laughs> Sorry, that's. Um, Audrey Hepburn. Mm. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, yep. I mm-hmm. love watching all of her movies and Roman yeah, Holiday. Starts he's riding the yeah, Vespa, with the, right? with the skirt. Yeah, or yes. Jean, or or Grace Kelly in in uh, Rear Window. Oh, yes, her, yeah, her dresses in that they were made by somebody famous. Uh, Edith Head, some fag. I think they're Edith Head. <laughs> no, it was a woman. <laughs> some fag. 
looking it up. Who uh, the, the um uh, incredible? Yeah, you're right. Incredibles. Edith, Edith the Incredibles. Head. Yeah, Edith Head. Yeah, she was like spoofed on. Uh, yeah, Incredibles. yeah. Right. She no did capes. a lot of she did a lot of uh, Hitchcock's wardrobes, and that's a another like hugely amazing artist in that field. Like how? Yeah, I feel I feel two ways about costuming and wardrobe and film. In one one way, it's like it's beautiful. There's this reverence for it. It says something, you know, it's deep. It, it, you can look at it that way. But on the other hand, it's like, it's, um, it's not that important. That's you know, as you said, yeah. it's just a piece of cloth that's on Well, there. yeah, like, you know, the costume designer of all my films has been me because I bought that t-shirt. And the Academy for Best Costume Design. Goes to Old Navy. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. Now we say anything. A remask. I like to name my parents. Do you have a, an Oscar speech that you? I'd like to thank my mind? parent company. Yeah, I the do. Gap. I think about it all the time. I oftentimes imagine. First that of all, I, what would you like to? I'm win not going to show up. What would you? Like? Would you? I'm would gonna, you do it as a protest? Nacho. Can I I'd say like this? to George C. Scott it. Yes. Or send Fred Armisen. George to C. Scott, the guy we were just talking on about. On my behalf. This 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 Marine turned journalist turned actor who was in Doctor Strangelove. He Patton. was nominated twice. And he was he was in the Canadian horror movie The Changeling. Yeah, oh. which is not that good. Like starts. I love that movie. The change. Why <laughs> The Changeling? It's me scary. Me and my partner watched it. We thought this. This is starting off so well, and then it just shits the bed. But oh, are you talking about full his wife trapdoor and, uh, diarrhea? Are you talking about the Angelina Jolie movie Changeling? Because no, it also no, felt no, bad no, about no, it. Yeah. Yeah. it started out so well, yeah. and then it fell apart. Different, different movie. But George different, C. Scott, great costumes. Yes, true. The hat mm-hmm. nominated twice. George C. Scott for best supporting actor didn't show up to the Academy Awards. The second time he was invited, he sent a message back to them saying. No, thanks. No, first of all, the first time he was nominated, he did show up and didn't win. Yeah. So you could look at it as sour. I refuse to. I think that he was, Mm -hmm. I I like to think of it that he was, that he thought it was BS because he thought that the stars, he didn't like the star system. The fact that the, the Oscars just propped up this star system where he was a a star though, frankly, uh, uh, he was a supporting star. He was a star. How do you feel about every year when, you know, they nominate, these kind of period piece um, films for Oscars, do you feel like some of those are worthy and deserving or is it just easy to access? A that? lot of them aren't like a lot of them hit a lot of the right notes and are okay. But I'm like, can we just not do any world war two movies? Like it's done. Let's just, it's not, it's not because it's not, it's because we, we, it's no, no, no. How many more times do we have to see that movie? I don't think it's done either. I think that it is. It's yeah, there's done. So many, you know what? You, so many you think that, but 1917 last year that was, one that was a World War One movie. I know, but still, it's a war film. Yeah, I didn't say war it's, films. It's I said World War Two movies. Yeah. Is there we a get drastic? It. Nazis are bad. Also, is there a drastic? We get difference? it. Some well, of the Nazis were people too. Well, How many times do we have to see that stupid movie well, again and again? But that wasn't the uh, case. They did make a movie. That's because uh, it wasn't a World War Two movie. Uh, You're not even listening. You're being obtuse. Uh, I think Apple would disagree with you because they did. Uh, I talked about this a few episodes ago that there's a uh, Tom Hanks. There's a World War Two movie about Tom Hanks who plays uh, a kind of this um, this uh, naval aircraft carrier or not naval aircraft Greyhound. carrier. Yeah, Greyhound. 
and um, I'll, uh, I forget the name of his character of the main character, but yeah, he wasn't really a popular character. And like, there there's probably been books, and then now we have this movie, so we all know about him. Um, and it's about this kind of um, naval captain, naval officer who goes by the book, and um, through his uh, sheer luck, and he's able to destroy several Japanese or um. Uh, not Japanese. Sorry, I totally have it wrong. But several uh, German uh, U-boats, so German submarines, and it was quite an impressive film because a lot of the, uh, a lot of the uh, dialogue was rooted in actual um, communications that went back and forth. Uh, a lot of radio communications. That's like, so there's that's, a lot of technical. You could have maybe jargon. named ten other World War. I'm sorry to step on you, but just sure. this, this annoys me. I'm 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 so. Sick of World War II movies. I'm sick of it. What about war movies in general? War movies? Well, most of them are fucking World War II movies. <laughs> 1917, yes. Like, 1970s, a World War I movie. Right, so I'm just And there's you. Vietnam movies. Do you feel the same I get about, it. Do you feel the same about any war film? I don't know why well, we're diving into Well, in general, this. yeah, I and I get it's a, it's an incredibly compelling topic, but mm-hmm. how many times do we have to see a World War II movie? I don't think, though, that they're always... It's worse than, like, gay coming-of-age movies. But they're not always saying the same thing. Which I, is, I wouldn't say that, which is that at Nazis all. Are bad I enough. wouldn't say that at all. But we have to move on as the world. We have to move on. Don't get me wrong. I love Schindler's List is one of my favorite films. I There are World War II movies that, are love, that I love and think are great. But we have to stop... It's done. Let's move on. It's so stupid. Could you imagine if people were still making movies about the war of 18 fucking 12? Let's move on. I don't think there are movies about that, but didn't Mel, Mel Gibson did the, the Patriot or whatever. Like they are, there are a few movies about that. Uh, uh, about the and question. if there aren't movies about that, good. So question. Cause I don't, again, I don't disagree with you. There were other wars. There are many, there's other, other topics. I feel like I feel like this is like all like almost a straight. Uh, I'm not gonna pull this card, uh, little gay card. But like, <laughs> it's just like straight guys, like anything about World War Two, World War Two, World War Two. Like, no, we have to move on. The Holocaust, even the Hol- that's that's incredibly compelling, dark part of human history. But even that, it's like, how many movies do we have to have about that? I don't know. It's a great question. What do you have to say about Jojo Rabbit, though? Does that fall into that category? Did you watch that? Do you like that? See, I bet I bet I would like. I bet I would like that movie. That's actually different. A lot of these movies aren't. They're just the same story told again and again. And even Jojo Rabbit, which which is is a funny take on everything, and also from the perspective of the bad guys, quite dark. We still, yeah, but it's 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 still a comedy. I like, uh, like. Can't we move on as a world? It it it's it's over. World War Two is over. Another question I have is: Can we move on as a podcast? Back to our topic <laughs> of wardrobe. So, wardrobe. Um, I had a segue and uh, Hugo Boss. It is since you gone. know who they yeah. worked for. The old Nazis. The old Nazis, which we all know, I would not like to see a movie about. I would like to not see that. 
uh, Hugo Boss for a movie about Hugo Boss. I would love to see a movie about Hugo Boss <laughs> if there isn't one already. Bonnie and Claire. Well, they seem to be making movies yeah. about all these great fashion designers who pass away and then they make right. a movie about their There's life. One about Chanel. Yeah. Is there a Gucci one yet? Has anyone seen Phantom Thread? Right. I started yes. watching it but stopped because it wasn't the master. Yeah, I mean, it has. It's a different yeah. tone. Is that film. the British film about um, the very stoic designer? He's, you know, he he controls everything, and um, he enters into a roma- um, a romantic relationship with a younger lady who, kind of, yeah. not not spoil the entire film, but yeah, I quite enjoyed that film, and yeah, beautiful oh, you saw it? costume design. In, oh. in my mind, Paul Thomas Anderson's films are always about a different su- section of the crew. For me, the, the the Phantom Thread is about the costume department. What's Boogie Nights <laughs> Boogie about? Nights is the production design department. <laughs> the master is the cinematographer, and There Will Be Blood is the director. What's Magnolia or the producer. about? Actors. Actors. What's Punch Run Club about? Writers. It's about... Um... This theory is made up just now and based on just... Pretty good. Very, thank you. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good. Thank you. That's yeah, pretty yeah. good. I was just pulling up the nominees for costume design last yeah. year. The Irishman, oh. Jojo Rabbit, oh. Joker, oh. Little Women, oh. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Little Women must have been hard because the designers would say, how are we going to design these uh, dresses? Uh, so who won these women again? Are little. <laughs> who was the winner? Uh, Probably know, Little Women. Some period piece. You know what? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Did Once Upon a Time... Parasite got a nomination for that? Parasite won like seven Two awards. Normal. Did it win costume design? All Two they wore was clothes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it had elaborate costume design. Parasite for t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Am I reading this right? Wait, that was that the same year? It was Ruth E. Carter for Black Panther in 2019. That oh, that's to- totally deserved. I haven't even seen but that, that movie. Jacqueline Duran for Little Women won for in 2020. I got oh, see in Well, again, she had to oh, design costumes for women that were a different size. Well, well, you they were, were little. You were alluding to something earlier that was like period pieces winning the Oscar. You're like, were you saying that? Were you saying that period pieces win the Oscar? Because like, of course. But for costume design, but, like but, all but, the time. But yes, of course. Yeah. I'm saying, I say yes to that, of course, because they have to imagine and research this whole other time. Mm-hmm. Contemporary movies can do things with color. The only thing that can kind of hold a candle is sci-fi because it's like, how do we imagine a different world? Oh, different it holds time? a neon candle. That's a- I, I have to pee. All right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen Little Woman, but the costumes in that, like where we're, we're like, Awesome. You know, like I was kind of in the same awe as I usually am, like a man's suit. I was like, wow, I kind of wanted to like be in that time. Uh, there's a scene where they're like ice skating and they strap on these old school ice skates. Ah. And you know, like their their mm-hmm. their dresses are around and it seems like cumbersome, but I'm like, oh, that looks so cool. You know, like it yeah. looks like such a interesting slice of life yeah. uh, to come from. But it was probably like not practical, not fun to put on. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that 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 raises that that expands the conversation because it's like those ice skates are then part of the story. They're part of the set design. They're part of the period making of the thing. Right. What yeah. other what other costumes are like a, a character in the story itself? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, obviously, yeah, like noir and all of its, yeah, you know, its clothing and its design, the clothing, the detective the clothes kind of make the man in that case. Yeah, I, watching a lot of like Orson Welles films, you get the sense of like this great grand man, just like mm-hmm. from what he's wearing, his yeah. clothes, and mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, yeah, sorry. Oh, uh, oh, I was just gonna um, interject. Uh, I think one of the most striking examples of like modern costume design in a movie is uh 2012 Baz Luhrmann film The Great Gatsby. Oh yeah. With Leo. Yeah. And yeah. just such elaborate over the top. Yeah. Decadent costume designs of oh, this or his his take on Romeo and Juliet, which that's was right. beautiful. Yeah, yeah and, and Baz Luhrmann, the, the excellent costume the, design in every film he does. The Capulets had so these Hawaiian shirts. The right, he's had this other style. I forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, beautiful. Kyle, you probably want to talk about this or uh, talk yeah, about yeah, you know the outsiders. You have the 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 the, the soch, the upper class with their right. madras shirts and corvairs compared to the greasers who were. Kind of the lower working. Yeah, I class, just watched that again. Uh, it was like it was really touching. Jeans, t-shirts, beautiful. leather jackets, class differences. Wait, are you are you uh, a greaser or? Uh, well, what so- would you be? What would you be? <laughs> are you Pony Boy and will you stay golden? <laughs> I don't really have any jeans, or but I do have t-shirts. But I, I was I have a story. Well, yeah, the Outsiders. Grade one. Our summer music recital, the theme, Greece. And all the little boys had to wear white t-shirts <laughs> and blue jeans. And all the girls had to wear poodle dresses, i.e. the parents had to make poodle dresses for them. Oh, I feel so bad. For it that. was so cool. <laughs> yeah. That movie for costume design was fun. Yeah, can kind Greece. of the emblematic 1950s. Yeah, or um, what's her, um, Olivia Newton-John in the black dress with the straps. Right. That mm-hmm. they like literally sewed her into. Let's wow. get physical, yeah. physical. That's a totally different costume. I want to get also That's great. a totally different costume. I know, totally different. <laughs> Tell so- me about it, stud. <laughs> yeah. Greasers. That's a great example. Black leather shoot jacket, do, white shirt, blue do, jeans, do, do, slick back pompadour. That's why. That's why James Dean's red jacket in Rebel Without a Cause was so iconic because mm-hmm. he was kind of a greaser, but he was blonde with a red jacket. He was a yeah. he was dye greaser. <laughs> <laughs> he was canola oil. <laughs> Earl. Yeah, Kyle, while you were gone, we were talking about the costuming in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Okay. So, ah, uh, I just, I'm such a sucker for, we're going to do like that, a concept like that. We're going to do a Shakespeare story, but it's going to be in the nineties and modern. And they're going to, they're going to say, they're going to literally say all the lines from Shakespeare, but they're going to have cell phones and shit. I'm such a sucker for that, that gimmick. Mm-hmm. And in that movie, it, there for that. it just takes it to another level. Right. And the part where he's wearing the f- armor and she's wearing the eight, love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they've done that with a few other Shakespeare. Yeah, um, um, pieces that he wrote, like um, 
I remember a few years ago there was a film called Coriolanus. Yes, I was just looking that up by Ray Fiennes. He directed yeah. it and starred in it. And oh. um, it's not a period piece at all, but it takes place in the modern context. But um, like kind of a looks like a war torn like yeah, Eastern Europe almost, and everyone's wearing modern clothing. But all the lines are it's all Shakespearean dialogue, so mm-hmm. it's yeah, you know, it's really weird to watch it at first, but. You know, keep in mind the dialogue, and um, it's interesting to see in this kind of modern uh, war and torn setting. Okay, I got a question. Favorite, am I too loud? Favorite costumes, go. Or just clothes in a movie. Or just clothes in a movie. Let's just say clothes in a movie. Clothes that were removed in a movie. Because it stayed on in movie Robin Hood. <laughs> and yeah, the yeah, yeah. Hat, the yes. Oh, and showing off his chest. You're all about that chest, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The v- that's why we're V. That's why I think gay guys like Venex. <laughs> it's all because of Disney's Robin Hood. <laughs> you guys, favorite costumes in a movie? Um, mine is like I don't know if it's from a specific film, but it's like uh, kind of like classic men's slacks. And then like, like a tucked in white dress shirt, like short sleeves. You know, I guess, I guess it's kind of yeah. like your Mad Men esque fifties look. Like I love that. Again, in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, they dress a lot like that, and yeah. it's just like I, I've always wanted to pull that off and never. Oh, can. you mm. could pull that off. So yeah, yeah. Thank you. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Edmund. Favorite costume movie. Oh, there's a big blank because there's just so many movies to uh, draw upon. But I guess um, I grew up watching a lot of James Bond films, oh, yeah. and uh, I've always think I always thought James Bond was so cool with his um, tuxedo at some high-end uh, establishment, like a upscale casino, asking for his um, famous drink. Uh, you know, martini. What's his favorite drink? It was, Shaken, uh, not stirred. Yeah, is it is it a it martini? Was a monster vodka. <laughs> monster vodka. Shaken, Shake not, not stirred. <laughs> the name's Bond. Kyle Bond. <laughs> Kyle, you favorite costume? Uh, Daryl Hannah in Blade Runner. I know we. Oh, be, right. I yeah. know we've the, in, the in horse is buried at this point. The clear raincoat. Yeah. The clear raincoat, oh, I thought you were the about hair, right? The wrappings yeah. and the, the I'm raccoon gonna, eyes. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Uh, Karloff, it is. I think in the Mummy, just simple mm-hmm. bandages. That's right. So simple, iconic. And and uh, Robert England in Nightmare on Elm Street, sweater, blades, hat, fedora, right. Like that's 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 again. I'd hate to bring it back. Okay, and 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 back to horror too. Hellraiser, S and M gear, the clothes, the you know, mm-hmm. yeah. That's it. Cool. All right, gentlemen. So we're at one thirty-five. Is there anything left we have to say about wardrobe or anything? 
you want to bring up or ask about? I mean, I, I sort of think we barely scratched the surface of wardrobe because, because mm-hmm. like what the meaning of costumes is, is such a rich topic for discussion that I think it could be an episode of its own. Like we've mentioned the Matrix, how when they're in the Matrix, they're in these cool black trench coats, leathers, sunglasses, hair's all cool. But when they unplug and they're in like the real world, yeah, they're in these they're, earth tones, tattered, yeah. their hair's Drabby just clothes, cut. Kanye's they have, wear. Yeah, like Kanye's mm-hmm. attire. Yeah, it's, yeah, I guess cool in its own right. I will say, anyone who leaves a good review on iTunes, um, speaking of drabby wear, um, Andy has said that he will personally send you a pair of his uh, soiled underwear. <laughs> I told you that story in confidence. Okay. <laughs> also, Edmund has an offer for all those listeners that. Either I think, if I may speak about it, sure, yeah, you subscribe can speak about it. to our podcast, give it a whole, give it a like, which is the bare minimum, really, you can do, <laughs> or give us uh, feedback. For example, my in our, in our last episode, I mentioned that the screenwriter of A Field of Dreams was Canadian. I was incorrect. The mm-hmm. writer of the short story on which this screenplay is based on was born and raised in Edmonton. Thank you, Uncle mm-hmm. Keith, our number one fan, for correcting that. Mm-hmm. If anybody else has stuff like that where we have been incorrect or you just have feedback to submit, then offer Edmund has an offer for you. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, hopefully we don't get thousands and millions of people. <laughs> just keep you know, sending asking. them a track to third. Um, yeah, because I've been collecting movies since I was a kid in the late 80s, so I have an extensive um, movie, DVD, Collection, VHS, Betamax, Laserdisc. Wait, you have Betamax? HD, yes, I have Beta. Well, uh, well, I don't have a lot of Betamax, but it's mostly home movies. One is enough. But um, yeah, um, HD DVDs. And I have copies of movies, um, like the same movie. Sometimes I've rebought movies. I was just telling the boys how I had several copies of The Wild Bunch, the 1969 Sam Peckinpah classic which i still haven't watched even though i have like four copies uh. of it because i kept on rebuying it thinking i didn't have the movie and and you still haven't watched it i still haven't watched it but uh yeah um so yeah we'll probably have some sort of segment to the show uh, a really small segment you, you know when edmund's movies <laughs> where if uh milk money with melanie griffith <laughs> no i don't have that movie have you seen it though no, but but it's funny you mention that because I was at the uh, local mall nearby here <laughs> called the Bonnie Dune Mall, and for some reason they were giving away posters, and I grabbed like a little poster of Milk Money. Oh, God. I haven't seen the movie. Oh, that's awesome. But I still have the poster Wait, somewhere they're, they're in my house. You, ha- you, have, a mi- you have a Milk Money poster. I have a Milk Money poster that's that I grabbed when I was a kid. And four Wild and, Bunches. And, and four <laughs> copies of the Wild Bunches. And Okay, well, hold on, hold on. Go ahead with the... Offer. Yeah, Offer. so um, well, I'll probably start with giving away like one movie per episode because uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, we don't know if we'll get like twenty subscribers or two hundred or two thousand or two million. You know, the more the merrier. That'd be great. But it's an opportunity to to win a movie, and um, maybe I'll have a trivia question that I'll ask, and if a few people respond, I'll make a raffle and. Uh, Especially if you live in the Edmonton area, um, we'll, we'll find a way to get you the movie if if you come to one of our houses or if I'll, if we'll meet in downtown or 
whatever. Can I ask you a question about that? Sure. What yeah. if we have international viewers, which I think we do. Yeah. I've seen some yeah. numbers in Australia. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, Ireland, I'll find a way to and ship the US. Uh, so shout out so, to them. Yeah, so thank you, international but subscribers. Are, are we going to ship it to them? Or no, <laughs> I guess if it's one movie for sure, I will foot that bill. I will foot that bill. If we are mailing a DVD to to somebody in Ireland for correcting one of our factual errors, yeah, you go and give a DVD. I will That's pay that cool. bill. It's okay. a it's okay. a yeah. taped version of Romeo Must Die off City TV. But, but yeah, like like I'll try to <laughs> on use HD uh, DVD or Milk Money. <laughs> like um, and, and yeah, I'll try to give away some movies on VHS. I have some oddball uh, titles. Um, especially since I used to get movies for free. Like there used to be for a while, there were places I just gave away VHS tapes or sold them really cheap. And then there's this place I used to volunteer at where, um, someone owned a movie store and, um, had their old selection in a kind of a free spot. Uh, I've taken a lot of those titles. Um, so how many copies of Jerry Maguire do you want? No, I don't. Ironically, I you don't. You don't? Oh. <laughs> um, do you have an idea of what you will be giving for the first offer? Yeah. What's hmm. the title? I don't know. That's a hard one because Give there's so many. Give us an obscure I one. Think, I, think, okay. I think the lead was right at the at the beginning. you got to send some of that milk money um, poster. Okay. Give us a weird one. And uh, Maybe he wants the We can all sign poster. it. We can all sign it. Uh, who wants a milk money poster besides that? <laughs> well, yeah. well, I have some like movie posters too. Um, okay, well, we no, don't, we, we so don't have to define yeah. that now. That's to come. Yeah, it's just come, an idea so that I had earlier. But I'd get a milk money poster yeah. from you if it was signed by four handsome men I don't think or three handsome men and Kyle. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that. But. Okay. Oh, come on. You never know. There might be that one milk money fan. Someone who worked on the production, or they have fond memories of watching it, for, yeah. and, and they want that poster because well, it's what, signed what, by what four what else random are you Alberta send? kids. Okay. One of your five wild bunches. Sure, I'll give away a, a DVD copy of the Wild Bunch. There, you you heard it here first, folks. All our Ireland voters, you're right in, and you get a cop, DVD so, copy so of the Wild uh, Bunch. Please <laughs> leave a comment with the, your uh, your favorite Sam Peckinpah movie. And why it's your favorite. Milk and, money. You know, and if you're the only person who responds, um, like, well, determined by the next episode, you know, you have a good chance to, who knows, you might have competition, you might have 10, 20, 100 people, but yeah. Kuwait, that's a great, favorite. that's a great uh, thing. Where yeah. should these people reach out? They can't comment on the Spotify, but they can comment on YouTube. Yeah. So they, should we give them our email? Um, we have if a you comment, do, do, do if we, you comment on the YouTube address? channel, yeah, maybe the, the YouTube channel. What's yeah. the email address, Gerardo? So, so there's two options. So comment on the, the YouTube, YouTube channel, channel, Prairie Film Companion, or you can email us at prairiefilmcompanion at gmail.com. The old PFC. And we'll get in touch. Yes. Mm -hmm. well, and then okay. finally, you'll get your milk money poster signed by all of us. Uh, well, I, I don't know where that milk money poster is, <laughs> but I do. I can easily find the DVD copy of Sam Peckinpah and... and I think it's still sealed. It's one of those Warner Brothers clamshells, late nineties, early two thousands. Is the milk money poster you, still sealed? You can also yeah. email. You can also text me at seventy zero seven zero zero one five one zero, or at my email edmund.rotea at ualberta.ca. Yes, uh, sure, yeah, definitely. <laughs> What's your social security number again? <laughs> well, it's two five ten.
<laughs> okay, okay. So to wrap it up, let's let's actually do a. I thought we had a third talk. I thought we were gonna do recommendations. We don't have. Yeah, we're gonna do recommendations. Oh, oh, sure. Oh, sure, oh can sure, I sorry. start? Yeah, I don't think we have a third topic. Yes, it can either be on the be topics, re- either neo noir or something wardrobe costume sure. related. Train to Busan presents, presents Peninsula. No, in that, doesn't 4DX. Count. that doesn't 4DX. count. You You'll love it. That. We all have to recommend a movie we didn't talk about. How about that? That's great. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, uh, the movie Barry Lyndon, because we are on this Kubrick train and we're on this period pieces train. This was a movie. Filmed with lenses repurposed from NASA. They had to invent a oh. camera to fit these freaking lenses, which were extremely sensitive to light. Mm. And because this movie was shot with no artificial lighting, it was shot in daylight or candlelight, which is really, really weak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these lenses had to be really, really sensitive. And it's this Victorian high chamber drama. And it's really beautiful because a lot of the romance comes from these really subtle gestures. One of the most powerful expressions of love that I think of from movies is a single glance from Barry Lyndon. There's this game being played, this card game being played, and Barry just gets a look from her. And it's just she just looks up and looks down. And it means so much. Mm-hmm. And it's also Kubrick and it's a period drama and with these cool Aww. lenses and everything. So yeah, that's my recommendation, Barry Lyndon. Uh, Very cool. I'm going to recommend Carnage by Roman Polanski. Um, it's a recent movie based on a play. Um, it's one of those movies where you think it's going to be a... Uh, what They talk the whole movie. They do talk, and it's hilarious and dark and interesting, and you can't take your eyes away. Just so good. Jodie Foster knocks it out of the park. Kate Winslet knocks it out of the park. The German guy from Inglorious Bastards knocks it out of the park. John, John C. Riley knocks it out of the park. Polanski knocks it out of the, the park. Yeah, he did bad stuff. How do you feel about that? Watching him after. It's uncomfortable, but it's still a good movie. Mm. And sorry, Carnage was his last one or? No, he did it. Oh. I I think he did a few other after that. Okay, cool, cool. Thank you, Kyle. You join, um, Edmund. Actually, if you go, uh, sure. Go. I guess my other recommendation. I really love South Korean films. One of my favorite directors is Kim Ki Duck, and a few episodes ago, I was talking about Three Iron, but I'll recommend a different movie, and the film that I recommend. Is um, I've been thinking about the passage of time over the last five, six months, and how at first the the days seem really long. There's a lot of uncertainty, and now as I look back, it it seems like the the year has flashed by. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- this kind of occurred to me when I was talking to a friend about. I, I went to Peru. Um, it will almost be a year. I, I left on the 29th, and I was away for three weeks. And and that was a year ago, and I'm like, wow, that that seems like it was a long time ago. But time has gone; the year has gone by really fast, especially the last five six months. Um, I don't know if it's this whole working from I've been working from home, um, but yeah, a good film about the passage of time uh, that I recommend. It's a kind of a coming of age film. It's spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring, and it's by the. Um, well-known South Korean direct- director Kim Ki-duk, and it's a drama romance, and 
I'll be honest, I googled the description, but it's about a young Buddhist apprentice is mentored by an aging monk at a secluded monastery in the Korean wilderness. As a teenager, the apprentice encounters a girl who arrives at the monastery seeking assistance with her health. Over the course of a few days, the boy is tempted away from his spiritual existence into a sexual relationship. He leaves the monastery to follow the girl into a modern way of life he has never known and is unprepared for. Um, so yeah, this is a very spiritual, poetic, coming-of-age movie. Can I just say, sure, sure. the title is so beautiful and speaks to these themes that you're saying just now? Mm-hmm. Going through the whole seasons and then ending and on then spring, spring again? spring again. Yeah, <sighs> and it will be spring again. Hopefully we'll have a vaccine and cure and yeah. we'll be hanging out at pubs and hooking up with people on Tinder and Doing full all that. Oh, PG. PG. Sorry, Uncle. <laughs> what was the name of that, sir? Okay. Spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring. Mm. By Kim Thanks. Key Duck. So, so go watch it. I, I got it at the at the local public library here, so you could probably find it at your library, or um, maybe you can. Yeah, you should be able to find it on Google Play and other major streaming services, or or the dark. Along with interweb. milk money, along with milk money, another mainstream 1990s film that that's not really you don't really see it on DVD and Blu-ray when you go to stores or but in poster format. Yeah, I'll find that poster. No, I'll give it away if I find it for all you milk <laughs> we money. We all have to sign there. it. This, I'm and, gonna and make this it. happen. I'm sorry, Gerardo. <laughs> no, we can sign it. That's good. All right, thank you, Edmund. Uh, my film recommendation is not a noir, even though it is black and white. It uh, has a little more to do about costuming and just a fun time. It is Bringing Up Baby um, Mm. by Howard Hawks, Mm. uh, released in 1938, starring Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. Oh! Yeah, just like a beautiful, fun film. It is such a good fun time. What's the big idea, you old poop? If if you just need to like laugh and have a good time, this is an amazing film for that. I'll quickly read the synopsis here. While trying to secure a million-dollar donation for his museum, a befuddled paleontologist is pursued by a flighty and often irritating heiress and her pet leopard. Sounds like a friend maybe. episode. Very much so. It pretty much is, but it's at like the height of what it could be. Yeah. Why I love the wardrobe again? It's this like bookish male in you know your kind of classic formal attire that's all interesting to look at but there's these moments where he's like not in drag but he has like a woman's um uh evening evening coat on and it's like he runs into someone that no (laughs) you shouldn't be wearing that and he's kind of just plays it off and he's so smooth and funny about it so it's a very fun Mm -hmm. uh, you know (laughs) amazing film to to Cary Grant was so sexy, but also so funny at the same time. Yeah. Like George Clooney. Like I mean, Catherine George, Hepburn, too. Like Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. So, who, I mean, put those like, two together. In her personal life, always liked to wear pants. Really? Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. That's my recommendation. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you all for your recommendations. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Uh, Edmund has a nice little song that will play out here. And. Uh, <laughs> 
bitch. We'll just let him sing along oh. to his heart's oh. desire. Oh, I don't know the words. Thank just you. the main chorus. Come on, I you do. I thought I was, was going to do the other one, the fairy film. <laughs> no, that's yeah. the intro. This is the outro. Oh, yeah, I love this song, guys. I'm a savage. Classy, bougie, ratchet. <laughs> I think it's a great song because it really pokes fun at a lot of uh, savage. I don't like Sassy, that she says the ratchet. N-word. Sassy, moody, nasty. Laughing, stupid, what's happening? What, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Hey, what are you doing to my mic? Hey, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Thank you for joining, everybody. Until next time. Can I close off with uh, the other one? Sure, if you want. Prairie film. Prairie film, movie time, excellent. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> bye bye.